This is The Exchange, humanizing commerce through post-purchase connection. The Exchange is a podcast centered around brand building, customer experience, and above all, customer retention. We want to give you the answers to the question, how do I get my customers to come back again? But what if the person buying is not the person who's actually using and enjoying your products? Would that change your strategy? Today, we're covering the difference between your buyer persona and your user persona. We're going to go over how to discover the difference and what this brand has learned and how they leveraged it. I'm excited to talk about this with Ben Perkins, founder of Andcaller. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate you having me. All right. Before we get too deep on the topic today, I wanted to give you a chance to introduce Andcaller. What do you guys sell? What's the brand all about? Sure. So, I mean, what initially started just as, uh, well, first an idea as a 13-year-old is when Under Armour first came out with those turtlenecks, if you remember. Full polyester spandex. It was like I had one of those. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all did. And so I was actually living in Hong Kong at the time. And I was this, I mean, 6'4", American kid walking around in just polyester and spandex. I mean, it looked like I belonged uh, in The Incredibles just walking around Hong Kong. So I, I loved that fabric. And I was like, this is incredible. And it, the thing that I, it, it stood in most stark contrast to were dress shirts specifically made out of cotton where, I mean, I had to wear them on Sundays or formal occasions or whatever. And they just straight up, I mean, they were, they were awful. They sucked. And it was, I thought to myself, Hey, if I could combine Under Armour with a dress shirt, uh, that solves most of my awkward uh, teenage problems. That, that was the idea. And uh, yeah. So, I mean, th- that was the initial idea. My allowance didn't cover uh, initial POs with uh, minimum order quantities of 5,000. So I didn't do anything with it. And then uh, while I was in college playing uh, Division One sports, I was sport, one sport. I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, I'm Deion Sanders. I was playing one sport and I wasn't even that good at it. I was playing soccer and I said, hey, I love this fabric again. Dress shirts still suck. Uh, let's combine them and democratize them. So it started off just as a white dress shirt designed for graduation or church or i mean basically the, the occasions that no one wants to dress up or even be at long story short and color was not about fashion uh i didn't care about clothes i was wearing gym shorts and soccer jerseys uh pretty much every day uh felt comfortable in them the idea was hey let's make a dress shirt that doesn't suck so much for those big occasions that's awesome and so Ancolor is basically now a full catalog of these dress shirts made from recycled plastic bottles. Is that the, the essence of it? Mm-hmm. And yeah. basically for everyone listening, you can throw liquid at this. You can throw whatever you want at it and it's not going to stain. It's kind of the essence of the product itself. Yeah. And because I guess that's where when we had first talked, I mean, People think that I'm a whiz scientist coming up with this, but I mean, in in all reality, it was just picking and choosing from other hero brands. And I think we're going to talk about that later. But uh, I mean, Nike for the 2010 World Cup was using recycled plastic in their polyester. And that was where the idea came from, where it was, I mean, I, I don't know the first thing about science. I don't know the first thing about fashion. So I guess I'm probably the least qualified person on the planet to be doing this. I don't even like it. Uh, I mean, the whole point was I hated dress clothes, so let's make better dress clothes. Um, But yeah, I mean, uh, other brands had already 
started and most most of them were big and it's nice to see smaller startups doing it as well and that's we wanted to be a part of that first wave of non-patagonias and nikes to use it gotcha it's interesting because it's it's kind of like this like fashion slash engineering product and from what you're saying it doesn't sound like it even started from like a fashion angle or an engineering angle it was just kind of like serendipity that these two things came (laughs) together and allowed you to solve the problem of i don't want to wear dress shirts (laughs) to certain occasions no seriously and and i'm not going to pretend like it, it was something else i mean now now we're saying okay maybe there is something to it but the initial idea was to sell enough that i could outfit myself for the next 10 years pursuing some white collar management consulting job. Uh, and I, I'd feel a little bit comfortable there. And it, I mean, the R&D behind it, in full transparency, I took a Utah Jazz jersey and like two other soccer jerseys, sent them over to factories, along with a dress shirt that I liked the shape and look of and fit of. Uh, and said, can you combine this material with this dress shirt? That was basically it. And we started to iterate, like you had mentioned, the stain repellency. Again, other brands had done that. And you see it with like, especially outdoor brands with rain jackets and stuff, but saying, hey, can we keep this breathable light material that we've got, this athletic material, but make it stain repellent? Because again, dress shirts somehow, and what you're wearing right now, you're probably going to be spilled. You're not going to have any accidents, but it's whenever you put on a white dress shirt, it doesn't matter how careful you are or a dress shirt in general, that little bit of spaghetti somehow gets right here. I feel that every time I wear a white shirt, something gets on it. Now, I know we're talking a bit about the engineering, the product itself, and you're saying, hey, we're, we're not the expert there. It's kind of serendipity. But there is something that I think that you are the expert on. And I know you're going to be humble and say you're not. But we're talking a lot about user and buyer personas. So before we go too deep into what Ann Caller kind of discovered and what you did about it, maybe like for those listening, what would you say? a buyer persona and a user persona are? Sure. I mean, we don't, we don't necessarily use that nomenclature here in-house, but it's basically buyer persona from our perspective is who is the person actually giving their credit card information on, on our website and purchasing the product? I, I think really that's how we define it. Who is the one who is purchasing the product? And typically that's also, and we, this is where it's that fine balance. But a lot of the times, that's where most of our marketing budget goes towards the person actually buying. As for user persona, we define that as who is the end user of our product. So who's wearing our dress shirt, who's wearing our pants, socks, ties, whatever. And so the way we define it is who is actually buying versus who is actually using, making it as simple as that. Gotcha. So the buyer persona is the person who's putting their credit card in on the and caller site. User persona is the person who's going to be wearing it, enjoying it, experiencing it. Yep. And spoiler for everyone here, um, Ben is obviously joining us today because he found a difference in this. And Ben, you maybe want to talk a bit about the discovery um, here about the difference between the buyer and the user of the and caller product. And like, did you always have a hunch that that was the case or did this kind of like strike out of nowhere? Probably a little bit of both. Uh, and again, you used this word serendipity before where for anyone who's listening, I think the barriers to entry to entrepreneurship are lower than ever. If you just can make a couple discoveries, like I think we have, you can do it without being an expert. So that, that totally separate of what you're talking about. If I can do it, anyone can do that. But back back to your question, Alex. Uh, we, we had a little bit of a hunch at first, 
because I think we, we were using myself as the user persona. We, were, we built the initial fit block based on my body. And it looks like we probably have fairly similar bodies because it's, no, no one at first was making dress shirts designed for 25-year-old guys or 28-year-old guys. They, for whatever reason, were all designed for 38-year-old guys with dad bods. And there's no disrespect to those people. We have fits. And I'm sure I'm going to evolve into that. And I'm looking forward to the day. It was... It's just we said, for whatever reason, no one is making the shirt for the end user. Uh, and that, that was the initial thing. Our, our first approach was, okay, let's make a product for the end user. So this user persona, which is somewhere between 20 to 35-year-old guy who doesn't want to wear dress shirts. He's more comfortable in a hat. And luckily, our clothes are insanely comfortable, but I would be wearing pretty close to what you are uh, if I didn't sell this for a living. <laughs> um but yeah, it, it was saying, hey, let's design a shirt that I would actually like because you know what? Dress shirts suck. That, that's base, that was basically the thought. But you have to wear them. Every guy in America has to have one. So let's make them suck a little bit less and be something they can actually build a connection with for the first time. You're not reaching into your closet for your buddy's wedding just filled with dread. It's like, hey, this is actually pretty comfortable and I like it. So that, that was the initial part about uh buyer persona. And I don't know if you have anything to interject there. No. Yeah. So it sounds like user persona was someone very similar to you. And then obviously at some point there was this discovery of like, you're building for this person. They're the person who's going to use it, but someone else is potentially making the purchase here. So who is that someone else for Ann Caller? And like, how'd that happen? Like, how, how did you find that out? So it's predominantly women and predominantly mothers and significant others, those who care about those 35-year-old guys and their wardrobes, the ones who are like, Alex, I just want you to succeed in life, where they genuinely care about you and they want to help you graduate from your college hoodie and jeans. Uh, So, I mean, 65% of our purchasers right now are women. Uh, Again, either married to, dating, or mother of are that, that user persona. And the main motivation is they want the important men in their life to look better where they don't love the sweatpants. And <laughs> Hey, we all, we all know how great they feel, uh, but they don't love the sweatpants. They don't love the ratty t-shirt or, or just the hoodie. So, I mean, anecdotally, if you go on your own Instagram account and scroll through your feed, a lot of times on women's accounts who have significant others or sons, the pictures are when they're, men are dressed up. And so, I mean, again, this is a part of the initial hunch. We don't have any data. We don't do any like deep market research. It's just, okay. I think the women are the ones who care more because our guess is that the, the user persona. So the guy, if I'm, if I'm the guy, I would rather spend my money on a new pair of Nikes. Let's be real. Or on a new pair of Allbirds. And again, a hero brand. I would rather spend my money there than on a dress shirt. The last thing I want to wear. Uh, but then we started to do in-store pickups. So this is our little office. Just It's not an actual store. It's an office building. And we just threw on our website for trying to reduce returns and exchanges, which uh, is where our I think our relationship first started, where it's like, okay, with clothing, especially with dress shirts, with two fits, it's hard. Where we want a shirt that fits really well, but it's not. We've got two different fits. It has to, the collars have to fit. The sleeves have to fit. And so we started to offer this in-store pickup where, hey, if you want to come try your stuff on before you purchase, we've got a little Shopify POS card swiper. You can come buy it here. Just pick up your order here and make sure you get the right thing. 
because again, we are totally on board with you and the loop team. Let's get customers the right stuff and make that as easy as possible. And so we started to do these in-store pickups. We didn't think anyone would come. Oh, and I'm, I'm lying. Before we even moved into an office, we were in my basement. Uh, and by my basement, I lived in a basement. So it wasn't even my house. <laughs> uh, and we would have people, customers coming at like 745 at night, my basement, like a ill-lit uh, part of town here in Salt Lake. And it was like, okay, if these people are coming here, let's get an office. And so we started to do that. But anyways, uh, it turns out, and this is where we said, okay, there's a real difference. Every single person that came was always a woman. They would occasionally bring the man in their life to get the fit right. But one, 10 out of 10, there was a woman at the pickup. Uh, and we said, okay, there's something here. And they were the ones dictating. They were the ones emailing to set up the pickup. Uh, they were the ones driving. Uh, they were the ones who brought out the credit card. And we said, okay, there there is some sort of discrepancy between end user and buyer. It's really interesting. And I mean, I feel like it's obvious for you when you, like, I get like, like obvious now when you see women coming in to pick up these shirts and when you go and you look in Shopify and you look at all the data and like, we're, we're seeing women's names in the, in the customer profiles. And it's like, hold on, like we don't make women's products or maybe, maybe you do at now, but we're not making women's products. So like, it's obvious that there's a disconnect between who our buyer is and who our user is. But I feel like for some brands, it's not going to be that obvious, right? Like someone might be buying this and they might be different from the user. Is there anything that you're doing as a company, as a brand to try to get more information on that end user? Because like, again, I feel like it's obvious here, but for a lot of people listening, it might not be as obvious as that. Sure. And that was, that was the easy part for us, like you were saying, where if I'm a wallet company and it's a, a woman's name or a men's name and the product's I mean, can work for anyone. That's where it's pretty tough to make those findings. But yeah, we don't offer a single woman's product. With a, but if I scrolled through Shopify on that orders list, I mean, you just go down. It's all women's names. and They're not buying. I mean, occasionally they do. So that, that made our job easier. But now it was trying to define, I mean, the next level. Okay, we know that purely based on purchasing, 65% are women's names. Now, how do we, like you were saying, how do we break that down? Are they buying it for boyfriend? Are they buying it for a husband? Are they buying it for a son? What age group are they in? What are they buying it for? And so we started, I don't know if you're familiar with Okendo reviews. Yep. And so talking about SaaS uh, and our tech stack, we started working with them because before we were sending out a very generic NPS uh, survey, just trying to get that net promoter score. And it would go out non-discriminately to everyone, just a score with a comment. But we're saying, okay, we're wasting this opportunity where we're getting great feedback. Open rates are great. Let's try to dig deep. And so, yeah, now we do, uh, and we incentivize it pretty heavily because we want to find out this information. But uh, I think it's 14 days after you receive goods. So giving you enough time to actually try them on and interact with them. We sent out this survey and it basic what it's asking there's a few product attributes like what size did you buy? What size do you usually buy to hopefully reduce those returns exchanges for people who haven't purchased yet saying, Oh, this guy or this person purchased a large and they usually wear medium or whatever. So we were doing the product attributes, but really what we wanted to find out were customer attributes and these persona attributes. So first question, did you buy for yourself or for someone else? So a binary you or for someone else. And 
typically that falls in line with if it's a woman's name or a men's name. Uh, so that, that wasn't that breakthrough, but did you buy it for yourself or someone else? Next one, age range of end or age of end user. Uh, so who are the actual people buying for us? And, and it does different little age ranges. And then for what occasions of use are you wearing our shirts? Is it for formal occasions? Is it for a date? Is it for everyday work? Trying to find out exactly. So trying to find out as much information as we can, uh, about both personas, the end user and the buyer. I love that. And even asking the simple question of, are, is this purchase for you? That, that's a very, very powerful question to ask. And especially, again, like for we're, we're seeing women versus we know the products for men, that's obvious. But for a lot of other brands, it's not going to be that obvious. And just asking that simple question is going to be a big unlock between who are you marketing to to actually get them to come by and who's the product, who are you building the product for as the end user? And with all that information and like knowing this difference, like did that change anything about the on-site interactions or maybe how you structure customer support and kind of those interactions on-site? Now knowing that it's 65% of the people who are on the site are going to be women versus men? Absolutely. And so, I mean, the first action item we we did was hire, they, we now, and they internally call themselves the dream team. So our customer support team Love are it. exclusively... Yeah, hey, they they earned it. Uh, and I would say they're better than uh, the uh, ninety four Olympic team. Just gonna say, <laughs> or whatever whatever year it was ninety two ninety four. But anyways, we, we yeah we said okay, not only are sixty five percent of purchasers and that that buyer persona uh, are women, like eighty eight percent of customer service interactions are women. So, so they're the ones who are actually trying to make it work. And so we said, okay, then let's speak to them in a way that they, that, that's very relatable. And so we brought on a dream team of exclusively, I mean, 30 to 45 year old women who are awesome. They're stay at home moms. I mean, they're, they're the real drivers of the business at this point where they're talking in a way that the buyer persona can really relate to. We think we've really nailed the product. And that's where it helps that I'm, I'm the user persona. It's like, hey, well, let's just make something that I like uh, or I guess like like more if we're using it contextually. Uh, but in terms of the buyer, the one who's actually giving over the credit card, let's do everything we can to talk in their language. And they, yeah, our dream team has been awesome. And they can be very relatable where it's, hey, my husband is a medium slim as well. And the, collar, the sleeve is a hair short, just like you said, but... I do this, 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 or, oh, I just throw Clorox if there's some sort of issue or, or whatever, where it's in a way that I can never communicate adequately or in the same way or relatably, this dream team is awesome. And so that was the first thing we did. Let's talk to the buyer in a way that, that they can relate to. Love that. So basically it was the idea of matching up the interact, like the one-to-one interactions that you're going to provide through your brand, making sure that matches up with the buyer persona, even though it's going to be different than the user persona. And I love the dream team. And I've actually had the privilege of interacting um, with your support team. And it is it is great. No, great. <laughs> so for everyone else out there, it's basically making sure that your support team is going to match the tone and they're able to speak the language of the people who are actually going to be on the site buying. I want to jump now to marketing efforts. So we talked a bit about when they're on the site. Now let's talk about before they get to the Ancaller site. And 
I think this is what actually made me want to record this episode the most is you put out an ad that is clearly targeting the female buyer. And I wanted to get your thoughts and I'll, I'll put a link to, to this video, to this asset in the show notes so everyone can take a look. But like, maybe tell me a bit about how did that come together? How did you put together that campaign? Yeah, I mean, it was really fun. And it was a little bit scary because we knew we were going to offend some people and we wanted to create content and I mean, a campaign that elicited some sort of reaction. We didn't want people to be indifferent about it. And so we knew that by kind of towing a line, some people might be offended, but there would be enough of like a visceral reaction that people could relate to it. And so we said, hey, let's let's be real. 20 to 35-year-old guys do not care. And I mean, really, men of any age, unless you're wearing your Brooks Brothers and you go get it fitted and wear it every single day, I don't think you really care about your dress shirt. Let's be real. And the burden ends up going on the women in our lives. And I know that's an overgeneralization and stereotype, but based on our customer research, that's what was happening. The women were buying, the women were the ones making things happen, the women were taking care of the shirts. Men are wearing a dress shirt out of obligation. They're going to wear it no matter what. But to get the buyer interested rather than this user, let's talk about how a dress shirt, even though it's not for them, makes the woman's life or significant other's life that much better. Because I grew up, my dad wore a white dress shirt every single day to work, and my mom went to Red Hanger or whatever dry cleaner there was. And I remember it being a part of her routine. And it kind of sucked, where she has to take out 45 minutes, an hour of her day to go get my dad's dry, dress shirts dry cleaned. And he needed them. And that was just kind of how the responsibilities fell. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I was saying, hey, this is a real thing. We know our shirts are awesome. But let's talk about how they'll help the person who's not even going to wear them. That let's let's talk about the buyer. And so we said, let's do a campaign that talks about how it's machine washable, it's stain repellent, so you don't have to be worried when if you're from a woman's perspective, you're out with friends, you finally got your your guy out, you're out with friends, and let's not have him embarrass you as a couple uh, by making it stain repellent. Uh, let's not have the collars free. Let's have it fit really well. And so we said, let's talk to the woman because ultimately she's giving up the credit card uh, and she's the one who's buying it. And really it's a gift to her, even when she's not going to be wearing it. Love it. And again, towing the line there that like some people are going to be offended by it. Some people are going to see this as like the best thing ever. Like you're speaking directly to me. And like the, the reason I loved it so much is because I actually had seen the creative that you had put together a little bit earlier that was very clearly targeting the user. So for me, it was this, this kind of like pivot of, we had campaign number one all about the end user, and then we had campaign number two all about the buyer. And uh, I'll put a link to this other one in the show notes as well. But the first one was kind of like um, a guy that's late for work is the essence of it. And he's kind of like doing parkour and like, Things are being thrown at him. He's sliding in the grass and kind of like getting to all a lot of the same benefits, but from the guy's perspective. So I guess my question here is, which one of those campaigns was better for Ancaller? That's that's where it's hard to make like a black or white distinction. And we we did it a little bit intentionally. But like you said, we just realized, hey, the one who's buying are, are women. But uh, the, the way we've structured the two assets, I guess is we want the men 
to potentially be interested enough that they can either support the the female if she says, hey, there's this dress shirt that I was thinking about getting you. And he said, oh, yeah, I saw it. So that commuter, we call it the commuter video, where we try not to take ourselves too seriously. That's one thing. We don't, it's like, hey, we don't want to, for, for both groups, both the buyer and the user, we don't want a guy next to a red Ferrari with like a girl in a red dress. I mean, what you see with typical fashion, it's like, we're not selling that. We just want to sell you comfort. We're not going to make you special. We're just going to make you feel like yourself rather than a sellout. And, and so that, we, we designed them to work together where the commuter video almost exclusively only goes to men and it performs very well. I, I personally uh, prefer that video because it, like you said, it speaks to me. But I mean, ultimately in terms of, so in terms of campaign and how we're running ads, they, they both are running one to the men, one to the women. Uh, and hopefully they kind of work together this triangulation. Oh, for the, bo- for, for the both of us, we should get this dress shirt. One, because you're using it, and one, because I have to end up taking care of it. But I guess if you had to choose one or the other, uh, the it's called Sexy Dad. The sexy Dad had more of a revenue impact, which makes sense if 65% of purchases are coming from women and their average order value is higher. Uh, it, it makes sense. So Sexy Dad beat Super Tramp in that. Or, okay, this is sounding horrible. <laughs> Devin Super, Tr- Super Tramp... Yeah, Devin Supertramp is a YouTube influencer that ran that video. So the videos, the commuter video, sorry. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. So the campaign that was targeting the buyer obviously had the revenue impact, and that makes sense. But from your perspective, they're actually working in tandem. So there's a buyer persona ad, and that is designed to like, hey, how can I get someone to make that purchase? But obviously, they're not going to make another purchase if we can't get the user of the product on side with this purchase as well. So the commuter ad was all about showing the benefits, making sure that that person who's actually going to be using it, wearing it, sees it as the same, has the same value for it as the buyer does. So they're working in tandem. Even if we're going to say that the buyer persona campaign had more of a revenue impact, you actually see them working very well together. And maybe it wouldn't have had the same revenue impact if we started there and we didn't have that user, that user campaign kind of already in market. Mm -hmm. Yep. Is there anything else kind of around this topic that I didn't ask you that you think is important for our listeners to know if they're kind of starting to look at this difference between the two? I, w- I would try to find out as soon as possible. And I don't think you need to do it in a very, and I think you can do it in a very cost-effective way. I mean, whatever our service fees for a Kindle are, for example, we were already sending out surveys. You can even do it on a Google Sheets. That's what we started out. <laughs> a Google Sheets embedded in email and it's or Google Forms. There are very cost-effective ways to find out. And just ask them. I mean, we incentivize it with, a, so we call it a review, but it basically, I mean, it's a survey to find out exactly who they are uh, and what product they're getting and why. But I mean, we incentivize it. It only takes them like 75 seconds. If they leave the review and tell us who they are without a photo or video, we give them $5 in in-store credit, which works really well. And from a business side, they have to come and buy more than that anyways. So, so we see a, a pretty, I know you're all about retention. So that, that works really well with incentivizing a repeat purchase, but we think it's absolutely invaluable where I, we actually think it's driving more revenue by investing in it and give, yeah, give them gift cards to find out who they are. And then we give $10 if they leave a photo or a video, which has also been very informative because we're seeing who is wearing it. It's one thing to see it on or to read it on paper, 
but being able to see, oh, it's a guy that looks like this, because that, that's very much about buyer persona. And a lot of times it's the woman is in the picture as well. And so it sheds a lot more light than our kind of yes, no, or multiple choice answers where it's like, oh, that's what Alex looks like, where I can see your longer hair and who you're with. Or, I mean, a lot of times a guy's holding like a Modelo or something. Uh, and it's like, oh, okay, that's a group we didn't even realize. Interesting. So the image on the review actually gives you a lot more insight than just the written communication there. So I hadn't even thought of that. That's that's really interesting way to actually see who the user is and not just have like the data behind it. I can actually visualize Ben. I can see what he's wearing. I can see the context of where he's wearing the shirt. Like, is this picture taken at a wedding? Is it taken at church? Is it taken somewhere completely different? Starts to give you a lot more insight into what makes that end user tick? Absolutely. And it's been really interesting. That part is not scientific in any way, but it's like, oh, this is what this guy in Minnesota who purchased our shirts. Again, that's the coolest part about business where it's like some dude in Minnesota or I guess 65% of the time, some woman in Minnesota willingly gave their credit card information to some product we created out of, out of a Utah Jazz jersey, uh, and which is always really cool. But yeah, it does help because it's, Again, they can answer that they're wearing it to work every day or whatever. But when you see them lounging back, uh, clearly at like a bar, because there's a lot of those that come in. It's like, oh, this is being used in a lot different situation than we would have uh, anticipated, which is which is really cool. So I would say whatever you can, and you can do it in a very cost-effective way. You don't need to pay Nielsen. You don't need to pay some data analytics or insight company. Just to ask your users and I mean, I guess statistical significance, you only need like 300 uh, and incentivize it until you can find out. And then that way you can, I think, target customer support. You can target, I mean, returns and exchanges. And that's something we are trying to do because you know what? 65% of our users are much more prone to returns and exchanges than 35%. So that helps us with what we put in like inserts inside of our packaging and everything. Sizing guides, product descriptions, all sorts of things. Yeah. But, and now let's tailor it to the 65% who are generating most of that revenue. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's really important. And one thing you said at the beginning there is like, do it now. You don't need to wait for market research. You don't need to wait for some big tool to come help you out here. And like, even just having a few conversations, like there's, you can be completely blind to this and just having... I don't know, 10 conversations with people who bought this and asking that very simple question, did you buy this for you or did you buy it from someone for someone else? That's going to unlock so much insight and it's going to drastically change the entire customer experience you're able to put together and that can change your business. Absolutely. So Ben, one thing I like to ask every person who comes on the show is, are there other brands that you look to for inspiration? Any other brands out there that are doing something you love that you think other people should also be paying attention to? Oh, totally. And there's two brands. So my co-founder, Jordan, and this is one where we're almost acolyte level, where I'm not a part of an ambassador, and he's not a part of an ambassador program for either of them. It's, I guess, we're, we're living proof that we, I guess, your top customers generate whatever percentage of profits. And I, I mean, I believe it. Uh, so his is Patagonia, which is, I mean, a commitment to quality. And that's our thing where... We're democratizing. I mean, there are other brands out there that make performance dress shirts. Very biased and subjectively, I say ours are the best, <laughs> uh, regardless of price. But that's been our commitment. We want to make an awesome product first that just so happens to be democratized because you know what? No one wants dress shirts. And I don't mean that like a self-deprecating way. I would rather wear a t-shirt. 
but you need dress shirts. So let's make them affordable and awesome. And that's where he loves Patagonia where, I mean, they've got kind of an unwavering excellence to quality. And we wish we could get to the level in terms of sustainability where, I mean, they're just pretty dope where they are like staunch in what they do. And Hey, we're not going to do this because of this impact where we're not there yet. We'd love to get there. So his is Patagonia. But the one I can really speak to is Allbirds. I think they are the most awesome brand on the planet. Their product is awesome. I wish I could say I backed their first Kickstarter, but I was I was one of their pre-orders uh, when they launched on Shopify the very first time. And I mean, I've spent a lot of money there. I've told a lot of people about them because I think they nail really what we want. We love their tone. And we, we've always talked about on this spectrum, and I hope it's okay since you talk about other brands where, I mean, a brand that's killing it and we really respect what they're doing is Chubby's. But I mean, they're they're a little bit more, I guess, frat boy is the way we describe it. Which hey, they they know who their buyer and user personas are, and that's where it's like full credit to them. Applaud them. That doesn't speak as well to me as a as a buyer or a user. I still have their products, so and they're awesome. But if that's like kind of the slapstick or like a bird dogs, if they're over here, then you've got someone who's serious all the way on the other side. We think all birds is like perfectly relatable and personable and a little bit witty where they, I don't think they take themselves too seriously, but an awesome product. And then the sustainability, which is really, really cool where, I mean, they're transparent that it's kind of a good, better, best scenario. They're not at the best yet, but they're trying partnering with Adidas to make, I mean, zero carbon footprint shoes. And it's like both of them are, I think the best brands uh, that are out there. We're, we're trying to get there. Those are, those are two really good examples in Patagonia and Allbirds. And if I had to summarize kind of like what the through line between those brands is like killer product, they are both focused on sustainability and have like a clear message and purpose behind their product. And they clearly know and understand their user like we've been talking about today. They've made it perfectly relatable and perfectly positioned for that user to buy and use it ongoing. And Ben, I'm going to do my best to kind of summarize everything that we talked about here today. So bear with me. Buyer and user persona. Buyer is the person who's actually putting the credit card into your Shopify site and making the purchase. User is the person who's going to put it on, experience it, feel it, interact with it. There can be a difference between the two. Look at your Shopify purchase information. Take a look at what those customers look like and try to see if you can find a difference with your users. That's going to be harder for some brands. So Ben's recommendation here is use a tool like Okendo and just start to ask people. Start to ask, did you make a purchase for you or did you make a purchase for someone else? Because that's going to start to get build up this information library about what your user looks like compared to what your buyer looks like. And once you know that, you can actually start to make changes across your site and across your experience. So what Ben and the team did here is they made sure that their customer support team was super relatable to the buyer so that they could speak the same language and connect on a deeper level. And in terms of the campaigns that they're actually putting together here, it's important to actually focus on both. You need to have marketing that is tailored to the buyer to get them to actually come and make the purchase. But if you can't get that end user on side with that purchase, then that first campaign is going to fall apart. They have to work in tandem together. And Ben's final piece of advice was make sure that you start on this now. It is going to change everything about how you operate from customer support to marketing. And if you can know the difference there, it's going to have a huge impact. Ben, anything I missed there? You said it better than I did. That was awesome. 
<laughs> All right. Well, before we let you go, is there anywhere where um, our listeners can interact with you? Maybe Twitter, LinkedIn, a blog, somewhere where they can kind of keep tabs on you personally? I'm not interesting. I, I gave you that uh, full disclaimer at first. A goal for 2021 was to tweet every day. I have not done a single tweet this year, so I've fallen horribly short there. So just on LinkedIn would would, would be uh, the best one. Ben's selling himself short there. I follow Ben on LinkedIn, and he has a ton of golden nuggets that make it onto LinkedIn. So I'll make sure that his LinkedIn profile gets into the show notes as well. And Ben, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Awesome. Thanks a ton, Alex. Really appreciate it. That's been The Exchange, presented by Loop, the returns platform for Shopify. Thanks for listening.